0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. It's Old Man Squad Review Day Part 2. I don't I don't know many parts actually. Out of Probably three or four? I do think there's actually a lot to learn from this stuff. So the reason we're pouring through it kind of slowly is not just because we have an indefinite amount of time, tis the fantasy basketball offseason, but also because I think we can adjust our strategy in a meaningful way for next year. Particularly as I make the old man squad for next year. as I'll keep doing that. It generally works pretty well. The the show you're listening to is Fantasy NBA Today. <laughs> I knew that's where I wanted to go with this thing. I'm your host, Dan Bespers. Thanks, as always, for listening, everybody. This is your Thursday, June the 17th edition. It's our last fantasy episode of the week. Tomorrow, Friday, will be very heavy on the what's going on in the NBA stuff. Boy, was yesterday busy. Sheesh. Problem, of course, is that Oh, by the way, this is a HoopBall presentation. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. You can follow HoopBall on Twitter, at HoopBallTweets. That's the one we're pushing here in the offseason, because that's the one that covers all of our stuff. Team feeds, gambling feeds, DFS stuff, you name it. It's all at HoopBallTweets. I am, again, at Dan Bespris. Yesterday's show, Wednesday's show, I recorded on Thursday, or Tuesday, excuse me, at about 10.30 p.m. or so, after the ball game on uh, Tuesday night ended. And so we didn't have a show after all of the stuff from Wednesday morning. I mean, it was a serious breaking news Wednesday. So we woke up yesterday. I know this stuff is all sort of past due, but whatever. What what else? I mean, what do we have to talk about? With the big one, the big one actually not Kawhi Leonard somehow. The big one is Chris Paul, who apparently has COVID. What it means about vaccinations and all that other stuff we don't know because there are breakthrough cases maybe he was vaccinated maybe he wasn't regardless a positive test means he's out until he has a couple of negative tests in a row and we don't know how long that's going to take but you know the Suns are hoping that this clippers jazz series goes as long as humanly possible they play in la tomorrow friday night and if utah wins that game Then they would finish up their series on Sunday, and so then the the, uh, conference finals would begin probably Tuesday or Wednesday of next week, which still isn't going to give Chris Paul enough time to get out of COVID protocols by then. I think the hope would be, what, one, two, maybe three games missed in the next round. That's probably a best-case scenario for Chris Paul. So that's a huge one. Seismic shift. Three doesn't sound like a lot, but let's say Phoenix goes one and two in those games. They have home court, too, by the way. And Well, they would if the Clippers went. I guess they'd, they'd be on the road in Utah. So they're probably rooting for Utah to win this thing so that maybe they go on the road. They lose two games in Utah. go down two games to none, come back home. Could they scrape one together without Chris Paul in their home court? Maybe. And then maybe you get him back. And all that's happened is that you haven't stolen home court away from your opposition. That, to me, is the pie in the sky, how could things not go up in flames scenario for the Suns. And it sucks, you know? For so many reasons. Because I was... The Suns were kind of my second favorite team in this thing. I was so upset they had to play the Lakers in the first round because I was rooting for the Lakers. Certainly upset that Anthony Davis basically had to miss the rest of that series and the whole thing spun on its head and LeBron wasn't quite right and then Chris Paul had the stinger and all that stuff. But, you know, injury is a part of the game, blah, blah, blah. I know LeBron put his tweet out and everybody sort of knew that was coming at some point that half the league is just beaten to hell right now. Um, It's a lot, you know, it's a lot. There's always injuries in the playoffs, but it's more this year. Everybody's been more hurt this season than, than in seasons past. But we don't need to go too far down that road right now because that's for the talking heads. That's for the non-fantasy, non-betting podcast audience. We, uh, We cover those two things. We don't cover whether or not the league made a good decision or not. By the way, just while we're sort of putzing around on this topic, the turnaround this offseason is longer, but not by that much. I think last offseason was a two-month turnaround, and this one's three. So teams going to the finals this year. Let's, again, file that in the back of our brains. It's it's not going to be... It'll have some bearing on something. But back to the actual point at hand here. Chris Paul's out for a while. Um. Kawhi Leonard missed yesterday's ballgame. We knew it was... was that was going to have that came out early and then there's apparently fear that maybe there's this is a larger injury than they're letting on and will he play in the rest of the series uh we don't know but by the way a bunch of coaches got let go yesterday also and that really got overshadowed uh Scott Brooks is out in Washington There were two. Wasn't there another one? What am I forgetting? Yesterday feels like a real long time ago now. Uh, let's see who the hell else got let go yesterday. I, well, well, we'll loop back around to it. The Lamella Ball was the rookie of the year. That also happened yesterday. <laughs> uh, Mike Conley's still out. Oh, Stan Van Gundy. There you go, Dan. You knew you'd get to that at some point. Stan Van Gundy got let go in, uh, New Orleans. So, couple of high-profile coaches actually getting dumped in for Stan Van. That was after a very short stint at the helm of the Pels. So I, I will say this about the coaching things before we turn our attention to the playoff games and then back into the old man squad. the There's something to be said for a coach just not being the right fit. Stan Van Gundy probably isn't the right coach for a team that's trying to work its way into contention but wasn't quite there yet. And I think we saw this a bit from Van Gundy when he was in Detroit, which is that he was both handling personnel and coaching there, and almost every decision he made was to try to get a win in what he felt was the short term. That was or seemingly that was that was every calculus was made with what is going to help me win in the next 15 minutes but has maybe not as much positive impact looking towards the future and so with the pells bringing him in he was a he was a, a noted voice in the nba community he had a pretty strong voice last year during the bubble because he was one of the the few broadcasters that was a part of that i i think he helped his profile there by being Uh, a really good ally to players. And so I I think was an expectation perhaps he would be more of a players coach, and teams are liking that these days. But the problem he ran into this year, in addition to a team they felt underachieving, I actually don't think the Pels underachieved all that much. I just don't think they were going to be that good this year. They weren't. They traded away Drew Holiday, who, sorry to the rest of the guys on that team, he was their best player. You don't get better when you trade your best player two consecutive off-seasons in a row. So there was probably an issue with expectations in New Orleans this year, but at the same time, dude played Eric Bledsoe big minutes basically every single ball game. That might have been you I think you could argue that on more than fifty percent of games, Bledsoe probably was a better option than, say, Nikhil Alexander Walker. Or something to that effect. Or playing one of the young guys, whoever it might have been. Walker's the one that jumps to mind very quickly. But that only stayed the case because the young guys weren't getting the chance that they deserved. The guys that could actually get better. Where with Eric Bledsoe, he's, I would argue, literally getting worse every month from now until the end of his career. Even if it's an infinitesimally small amount He's better, he was better in December of this year than he'll be in December of next year, and that's going to be continuing because guys that shoot past their peak, that's just what happens. Your best case scenario is basically staying the same. Whereas with the young guys on the Pels, your best case scenario is they actually improve and help contribute to the basketball team and make the team better as you go. So I think there was a philosophy, situation, philosophical, whatever you want to call it, situation that developed out there and as much as I like Stan Van Gundy as seemingly a, a person, um, I think you have to give the Pelicans credit for just saying, look, we this is not the guy we wanted or needed, so we're going to make a move now before it burns us for a while. Kings, Kings should probably be taking note. They're sticking with this stupid Luke Walton thing until the bitter, bitter end, and it's so bitter. They just keep getting worse every year under Luke Walden. They get worse. I actually thought they made some decent roster moves this year, and they got worse. They just keep getting worse. It was still one of the easiest over bets I could ever place at the beginning of a season just because, like, they have enough talent on that team to bungle their way into enough wins. But the performances that they put together, some of the losing streaks, unacceptably bad. The defense, unacceptably bad. And nine lives, Luke Walden just continues to trudge along there. It's like, I, I got to think that it's he's just attached himself to Darren Fox and the Kings are afraid to pay him and another coach and they're afraid to let him go and for fear that they alienate their superstar. But you have to be able to... Well, whatever. Uh, as playoff games go, yesterday was certainly an interesting one. Atlanta came back from 20 down to beat Philly 109-106. Only two Sixers... Hit buckets in the second half. Joel Embiid and Seth Curry. A truly embarrassing performance from the rest of those guys. Tobias Harris, ice cold, two for 11. Ben Simmons, unplayable in this game as he missed almost every free throw he could take. He's become a liability in the postseason. And the Hawks are winning games they got no no business winning. Each of the last two games, Philly should have won. But shoulda, coulda, that kind of thing. If you can't execute it all down the stretch, and if your superstar, Embiid, has a a slight cool spell, and Trey Young gets hot, hits his free throws, heaven forbid, well, you deserve to lose. I'll tell you what, man. Doc Rivers, he just takes these good teams, and he puts them in wonderful position, and then somehow poops all over it. I, I don't know... Wow. I mean, I was fully on the Doc Rivers Redemption Tour this year, but this is pathetic. This is with Embiid as the guy who's playing through injury, and he's been their only reliable guy in the series. It's not as though Clint Capella was the answer on the Atlanta side. They just, I mean, Philly, geez. Whew, geez. Too many turnovers. You could help wipe some of that out, but... Simmons has got to make a free. He's got to make fifty percent of his free throws. If he makes fifty percent of his foul shots, he stays in this game and they win. That's not hard. You're not even the center, man. I'm turning on Ben Simmons before my before our very eyes. His fit in the modern NBA is questionable. It's questionable. There, you have to build the right team around him. And uh, yeah, Doc is going to get blamed for that element of things. But Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid is a is a. Not a good fit in the postseason. For this reason. You're seeing it. Could they have used Danny Green? I guess. Maybe. I don't know that it would have made any difference. The guys that were there needed to get the job done. So now they go back to Atlanta, and Philly is in dire straits. I did not see this pivot coming in this series. I mean, the Sixers did all the right stuff defensively and uh, just completely fell apart on offense in a couple of second halves in a row. Darndest thing. Uh, we had to lean towards the under in this in this one, and that worked out. Thank the uh, good Lord, because if uh, if Philly hits their free throws, I guess there's <laughs> not unreasonable chance that it it might not have the uh, the side. We didn't. I didn't really have a strong feeling on. I with Embiid's health being one of the big factors in that thing games are going to go slower if Embiid's out there if he happens to sit one game out I think you could take an over you might even look at an over anyway uh if for no other reason than this one was sort of the numbers were higher in this game perhaps than they could have been otherwise because of free throws the pace was you look at the foul shots you're like hmm okay uh 66 of them between the two teams that's a big number at the free throw a lot of fouls called in this game. Pace-wise, Hawks pretty much were right on their number. 76ers, I'm going to do some speed math here on the podcast. Uh, 76ers were about three points under their number for pace because they missed all their damn free throws. So this one stayed under by about nine points. They will, I'm sure, bring the number down a little bit. Yeah, it's at 221.5 for that next ballgame. Philly's favored by three in Atlanta, so there's still faith at least for mods makers that the sixers are going to figure this thing out in a second half somewhere along the way i i don't know man this has become a self fulfilling prophecy at this point hawks are feeling confident now sixers need to hit him in the mouth and hold on it can't be the way the last two games are atlanta believes they can come back from anything now you're wiping out a lot of the value, though, with the total coming down three points here between ballgames. So we we may finally be done with the unders. I had to lean to the under in Clippers-Jazz, but that was before we knew that Kawhi Leonard was going to get ruled out and that that was going to open things up for not as much isolation basketball. And so the Clippers got out and wanted to do some running. The Jazz did some running. Teams hit 36 three-pointers again. We're getting close to that 40 number that I was targeting. And they got up to 230. Uh, without that many free throws, only 52. That's a a fairly average standard-size amount. Turnovers weren't that crazy, just some pretty good shooting and a lot of three-pointers. And now we await the Kawhi Leonard update because I don't think you can bet this game. Utah's favored by two in L.A. That's the expectation that Kawhi will be out. Total of 219.5, same as the last one. Oddsmikers feel like they got it right, and the Clippers really wildly overperforming in this game was the the big-time difference maker. Jazz overperformed by a little bit, but it was the Clippers that went completely buck wild. Uh, pace of this ballgame had it pretty close to the number they put out. Clippers, if they don't hit every damn three-pointer they take, if Paul George doesn't shoot 55%, and Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and all these guys were just lava hot in yesterday's ballgame, if those guys don't go nuts, Clippers are probably around 105 Jazz, maybe about 110. So I would actually now consider the under in L.A., unless we think they open it up the way they did in this last one. Clippers started to play some defense partway through. Jazz kind of didn't. At least not until it was too late to do so. Uh, You had some fouls down the stretch as well, so that drove up the number. So, uh, yeah, slightly into the under in the next one, now that we've sort of seen what the Clippers are without Kawhi Leonard. And they they're gonna have to make a lot of threes to make it count tonight. Brooklyn is in Milwaukee. Oh, how did the Bucks let that last one slip away? Milwaukee up against the wall, favored by five and a half against a very much not healthy James Harden, a very healthy Kevin Durant who played all forty-eight damn minutes in that last ball game. It's tough. I can't pick on Coach Bud right now. He played Middleton forty-five minutes. Giannis forty-two. So he finally got the memo. You gotta play your guys. I I don't know if Harden like uh, Harden playing 46 minutes on a bum hamstring probably feels like a a recipe for him to play worse. And he was about as bad as I thought he could have been in that last ball game. I I don't see how Kevin Durant plays this well again in the next one. Difference in that last ball game was well, Milwaukee let him back into it. I mean the difference was Kevin Durant just going thermonuclear in the second half and them not getting the ball out of his hands. They 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 allowed him to keep doing what he was doing and then forget the defensive side because sometimes if KD's that hot, there's nothing you can do. Offensively, stop with the Giannis Iso. They were running actual plays in the first half. Guys were getting open. Giannis was rolling. It was, it was fun for the Bucks, and then nobody had any open shots after halftime because it was just Giannis against the defense that was sagging against him. He had plenty of shots. Terrific. He fouled out, by the way. I don't know, man. They they really gotta get this thing figured out and it's gotta be quick. Cause that Oh man, the Bucks as as in game adjustments go, I, I just I can't remember seeing a team as bad as the Milwaukee Bucks at this stuff. They are embarrassingly bad at executing a game plan that isn't the one that they've just done every day throughout the year. You know how sometimes I talk about on this show that teams in the first game of a playoff series will just sort of throw their fastball. Some of you might be like, Dan, what the hell's the fastball? Fastball for a basketball team is just, what have they been doing all year? Like, what has Brooke Lopez done in pick and rolls basically the entire season? And the answer is basically uh, drop coverage. Okay, so... And this is not me picking on that, by the way, because that's the only way that he's going to stay on the floor against a Brooklyn pick and roll. What I'm saying is... They run the defense the way they always have. If KD is in a pick and roll with so and so. They're going to switch it. If, if, if this is the as a series progresses, teams tend to make small adjustments to that. Best example I can come up with is following the Lakers really closely in the bubble last year as they changed up their defense on teams like Denver or Houston after the first game actually Houston and Portland are probably better examples if you guys remember those series but in the bubble Portland came out and uh Lakers actually defended them pretty well in that first ball game but didn't didn't really get the offense going so they made their adjustments on the offensive side and the then the Lakers beat the hell out of them fr- from that day forward same kind of story really with uh with Houston which was they they ran their usual stuff and then they made an adjustment. Basically to go double James Harden near half court, get it out of his hands and sag off of Russ. And suddenly Houston was like three players on offense. Denver had counters for what the Lakers were doing, but that was the type of stuff you look for in a playoff series. I haven't really seen the Bucks make those kinds of adjustments on the offensive end. So maybe that was why they'd, the uh, Portland series would have been the better example to compare it to with LA. They made their tweaks and then the Blazers couldn't contain them. Bucks still haven't figured this thing out. Or they have for like a quarter, and then they abandon it. As soon as the game gets tense and the crowd gets live, Giannis says, screw it, I'm going to Eurostep right into a waiting Jeff Green's arms. Every game I keep thinking, Milwaukee's going to figure this thing out. Surely they can figure this thing out. And every game they don't. Someone will... Because Brooklyn is very good with two superstars, but they're beatable with two and not three. They are beatable. Bucks are a really good basketball team, but damn, if they're an easy team to solve. Man, they're an easy team to solve. If their fastball doesn't work, they will lose. I don't think I can in good faith bet the Bucks to cover five and a half points, although that is the direction I would lean in this one because the assumption here is that Kevin Durant doesn't go for 50 on like 20 shots again something surely something can be done total of 220 in this ball game. last one ended at 222 which was right on the number uh in a game where both teams offensively actually played relatively well they hit their threes brooklyn uh hit more of their threes <laughs> and more of their free throws more importantly brooklyn hit their free throws milwaukee is always going to be dragged down by Giannis's foul shooting. So, you know, they'll never be an 85% foul shooting team. Um, But Brooklyn also took eight additional foul shots. The very simplistic handicap on this would be KD can't do what he did again in the next ballgame. The other side of that is, might James Harden be better? So no strong lean on the side. No real strong lean on the total because I, I really do feel like the big thing for the Bucks is they have to make the fix offensively. And if they haven't made it after five games of Blake Griffin just sitting with one foot on either, s- straddling basically the corner of the paint and giving Giannis 10 feet to shoot and Giannis not making enough shots, maybe the offense should just be Giannis comes down and shoots a wide-open three-pointer every time. I don't know. Or, and they seem very reluctant to do this consistently, put him as the role man. But in that case, Middleton's going to have to hit his jumpers, and he didn't in that last ballgame. So, here's the poison. Oh, boy. Can't trust him to fix it. What are you going to do? Uh, guys, check out Manscaped.com while you're listening to the podcast. Pause the show and go do it now. Manscaped past tense manscaped.com is the website please go check that out immediately look at all their amazing products the ultra smooth package by the way fully sold out now but they do have other sets you can buy to save a couple bucks here and there i would strongly consider doing so uh such as the performance package 4.0 the perfect package 4.0. 4.0. I actually don't know that one. Let's let's dive into the perfect package and find out what the heck that's about. Uh, that is the Lawnmower 4.0. Deodorant for uh, the pants area. Toner, a spray. Shaving mats. And it comes with a travel bag and boxers. Ooh, I like that one. Oh, I like that one. That's a fun one. And you can get it for 20% off with free shipping using promo code HOOPBALL20. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L-2-0, ball 20 is your promo code for 20% off and free shipping. You don't have to, by the way, you don't have to get the perfect package 4.0. They've got all sorts of stuff. You can get individual things. You can just get a lawnmower, a weed whacker. You can get the plow. You can get the different shaving stuff. You can get a pair of boxers. I actually, that's like the one thing that Manscaped has not sent me to check out is the the boxers but the next time we re-up I'm definitely asking for a pair of manscaped boxers I want those and I bet they're gonna be sweet I bet they're gonna be like I bet they'll be real comfortable too so the nice thing about manscaped is that they've taken stuff where you were like this is pretty much gonna be as good as it gets right me speaking of course of a sideburn trimmer of any kind and they made it better I appreciate that like in and out burger you do one thing and you do it well don't goof around like Manscaped, don't bother making, I don't know. Don't bother making shampoo. You know, I know that that's a male care item. But make a, make powders, make make a lotion for shaving, and make the grooming item. That's it. Do what you do best. And that's what they've done. They've made things better that didn't seem like they could be better. And now we can get them for 20% off and free shipping with promo code HOOPBALL20. Help us keep them as a partner because they've been a lot of fun to work with. Go check them out immediately okay guys you guys know what time it is it's time for the dan vespers old man squad oh boy we got through our superstars on yesterday's show and uh that was fun because we were able to dive into a few of the uh the guys well the miss paul george was the miss um so we were able to learn a little bit from that we were able to learn, I think, from the the hits a bit as well. Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler, why we picked the guys we did, analyzing the process and not just the results. Because I, I feel like the Paul George call wasn't that dumb, even though it ended up didn't not hitting. And that's all you can do is you can handicap it. You can believe in your handicap. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I think I would do all four of those. I would make all four of those calls again, if given the opportunity. That includes the ones that hit and the ones that and the one that missed in that group. The a bit more on the roto side. To be fair, that is very much a a uh, a roto call because we're looking at totals here. But you you want to draft guys that are going to be healthy in your fantasy playoffs, and there's always going to be a Kawhi Leonard cloud hanging over that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I would understand if those of you that play head-to-head don't want to jump in on the Kawhi Leonard stuff. I, I get it. Uh, but from a totals standpoint, he beat his ADP, and he did so roundly. What about the main big chunk? These are the guys that I classify as boring. Because the first one was superstars on discount. The sods of the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. This is really the the boring middle of the Dan Vespers Old Man Squad. This is the <laughs> boring middle. Okay, this is the BM. If you have an old man squad, you got to talk about their BMs. The boring middles. What's a fantasy podcast without a poop joke every once in a while? So these are guys with an ADP between 25 and a billion that I thought were being overlooked because they are either old or boring or both. This is really kind of where the old man squad began its journey. And we've expanded it to include the upper tier guys with the various caveats. And then we also, this last year, for the first time, expanded it to include younger guys that I thought were maybe a little bit, that were exciting in some way. And I'll explain why. I call them the non-boring value guys. But as it turned out, a lot of those guys missed. So screw you, non-boring value guys. Let's stick with the boring folk. Boring folk number one, Rudy Gobert, who had a preseason rank of 29, and his final rank was... uh, Oh, geez, Dan, maybe you should have that number in front of you. My call... Let's just so make sure I read the right things. My call on his final rank was 20. I thought Rudy Gobert would beat his mark. I thought he would actually be slightly behind his ADP on a per-game basis, but I thought he would play about 85-ish percent of his games, which most seasons now actually puts you ahead of the curve. As it turns out, he was better than that. Gobert, uh, this year, was right around his uh, ADP on a per-game ranking, and now i got to make sure I've got my, my sort categories right. I think he actually beat it. Uh, let's see, let's make, you know what I've done here? I've made sure that my end date range is actually the end of the regular season. Okay, so Rudy Gobert actually did beat his per-game mark by eight slots, which already was a win. But on top of that, he played in 71 of Utah's 72 ball games. That's the really big win of the two things we're talking about here. So, Gobert, who I had ranked at 20th, I thought he was being underdrafted by about two-thirds of a round, he actually came steamrolling in as number seven by on a totals basis, which beat his mark by 22 slots. He ended up being one of the best picks in fantasy basketball because you could get him generally in the middle third round, and he was a first-round value on the year. Those are the guys, by the way, that win you a fantasy league. The third-round picks that play like a first-rounder. If you get a first-rounder in the first and a first-rounder in the third, and a second-rounder in the second, you're humming. Which actually is what I had in one league. I had Jokic, Aiton, and Chris Paul were my top three. Number one, number 20, and number five by totals this year. Yeah, that team's probably going to be in good shape, almost no matter what I do the rest of the way after that in drafts. So my handicap on Rudy Gobert basically was on the notion that this is a guy who seemingly had begun to figure out how to stay on the, the court. There was a weird stretch in his career in, in Rudy's, and I know he's not that old yet, but there was sort of a weird span at the front end of his career where he was alternating between seasons where he'd strain something and miss six weeks and play the full season. Like, go go look at his year by year. He's been in the NBA for a while now. He came in in 2013. You can throw out his rookie year. But the next year, he went 82 games, then 61, then 81, then 56, then 81. And then we had the uh, COVID-shortened season. He played 68, which actually was pretty good out of, I think they had 71 or 72 games last year. And then 71 out of 72 this year. So Gobert now has kind of seemingly figured out how to play himself into a more durable position. And you might even argue that some of that is because they're keeping his regular season minutes in check. Although I don't know that I would make that claim last year. he's playing 34 minutes a game last season. He played 32 minutes a game the year before that and managed 81 games. And this year he played 31 minutes and managed 71 games. So while some of the individual game numbers might not quite be where we want them to... His blocks were back up again this year 2.7. That's a really big win. Free throw shooting still stinks, and that's not going anywhere. Scoring is not really ever going to be all that good. 14 to 15 points a game. It does seem like we might be able to finally tack on the durability 10th category for Rudy. We've talked about that a lot now. What does durability mean? Can we quantify it in a way that handicaps into what we're doing here meaning if a guy's actually going to be durable most of the time that guy should probably see a pretty good value bump the flip and and we've had this discussion a thousand times so i don't want to spend too much time on it but it used to be that if a guy wasn't durable you docked him now it's if a guy is durable you give him a boost those are the guys that outperform their number the guys that actually play the season heaven forbid (laughs) <laughs> it's, it seems crazy, but it's true. So Gobert was one of those guys, and he's been that guy now for basically three seasons in a row, and I think we can, you know, the expression is a guy's durable until he's not, he's, he's brittle until he's not, but you go on what you've seen, you go on what you know. Recent history is indicative. Bradley Beal was beat up early in his career. He's shed that label, and he now really profiles as a, a durable player. And I'm okay with that assessment. I'm okay with that on Rudy Gobert now as well. That's part of what makes him boring. I will admit, um, I had Rudy at number 20 because I thought we were going to get more like what we saw last year, which was only two blocks per game instead of 2.7. Career 2.2, basically every year he's been a a full-time starter. He's been around 2.3 blocks per game. Last year, you went down to two. A lot of times, when a guy has a season where they take a blocks dip, that's the sign that it's trending that way. But it didn't. It went back the other direction this year, up to 2.7. So that allowed him to beat his per-game mark, even with the scoring ever so slightly down. Um, And I don't know. I think when you handicap him for next year, I would still handicap him at about two 2.2 blocks per game. But if he's getting drafted late again as he was this year, you can give that 10th category bounce and throw him into the mix as a durable third-rounder that'll probably outperform his number. Nikola Vucevic was the next one on the Dan Vasper's old man squad, and this one, to me, was probably the easiest pick in fantasy basketball. If Vuce got to you in the third round and you didn't take him, I will kick you square in the jaw. That one was the layup to end all layups. Because this is damn Vooch we're talking about here. It's so, so easy. And I know that the trade, the midseason trade, did put a little bit of a damper on his his per-game numbers. But he still was number 11 on the year. And anywhere he goes, he's going to be good. In Orlando, he was the focal guy. In Chicago, he was going to share that role a little bit with Zach Levine. It's worth noting, by the way, for those that were afraid of a Chicago big-time drop-off, um, it was something, but it wasn't much. In Orlando, he was taking 20.5 shots per game. That dipped to 18.8, so it was about 1.5 to 2 shots down that's something that's not nothing scoring went from 24 and a half to 21 and a half but the assists the rebounds the steals the blocks all of that stuff stayed consistent uh so the only thing that your only drop off there was was three points per game which is pretty palatable when you consider that a midseason trade to a team with another superstar your first thought is oh no but he hung in there He hung in there, and he dropped from, like, number 9 to number 11 on a per-game basis. But I almost don't feel like we need to go into the details of how his season actually went. This was just a super easy pick. This is a guy that was very much in the wrong place. You probably had to assume that he was going to go earlier than his 30 ADP because someone else in your fantasy league was not going to be an idiot and let him fall all the way to 30. This is a guy in Vooch who basically hasn't had a per-game rank-type season under the second round in... uh, Honestly, I don't know. He was number 18 on a per-game basis before last year's season got cut off. He was number 11 the year before that. Where was he the season before that? Was that before he made his big leap? Yeah, he was number 27. Even back then? I mean, this is... That was with some some games built in where he was on a minutes limit. Uh, He was number 48 the year before that. After he made the jump up to 27, it was just go, go, go. I mean, he shot 67% at the free throw line. He's a very different player now than he was five years ago. (laughs) You know? Like, we're not handicapping him based on that anymore. So this is a guy going at 30 who was almost definitely going to be inside the top 20 on a per-game basis. There was always a little bit of a fear that he would miss 10, 12, 15 games. But if you're beating your ADP on a per-game basis by a full round, you can miss a league average number of games or even a tiny bit more, actually, and still hit your marker. As it turns out, he was very durable this year. So that was an extra bonus that I don't think we expected, but we will happily accept. And he ended up at number three by totals. Number three, guys. That's pretty remarkable. But that was an easy one. I, I don't even want to take too much credit there because that one, that one required no stones at all. Easiest pick of all time. I think the next one on the list was also a really easy pick of Chris Paul, who was going at 36. Because everybody's like, nope, he's going to Phoenix. He's going to drift into the background. Uh, no, not on a young team. He wasn't. So this one to me was also a relatively easy pick. I had his final rank at 19 on the old man squad and he beat that one. He was number five. He was actually number 18 on a per game basis. So I guess by that account, I was pretty accurate. I just didn't expect him to have the same durability again this year that he posted last season. That was crazy. Chris Paul played in, um, he missed one game this year. What was the final number on that one? Two. He missed two games this year. Missed two. I thought he was going to miss 10 or 12. So I figured, all right, draft him at 36. He'll go top 24 on a per-game basis, miss 10 or 12 games, and he'll end up as a second-round pick. Easy peasy. (laughs) But a lot of people disagreed. A lot of people thought Chris Paul was due for a massive regression. But even at his absolute worst, you're still talking about a guy who was putting up per-game numbers around 36. I could not, for the life of me, explain how he keeps ending up where he ends up in fantasy drafts. But uh, whatever, the first three here old man squad picks, Rudy Gobert, Nikola Vucevic, and Chris Paul, were third-rounders that finished in the first round. Yeah, I'm, I've am i got some losses in the mix. No question. We got some losses, and we'll get to those. But, like, I'm looking at the graphic. It's a green graphic with black font that I posted on Twitter on December the 23rd, and we talked about on this podcast ad nauseum. The first three old man squad names were third-rounders that finished in the first round damn round, and I feel really, really good about that. Those are big wins. Like The likelihood is you probably weren't going to get more than one of those guys because they were all going in the third, and if you wanted them, you'd probably have to take one of them in the second round, which, frankly, based on where I had them ranked, wouldn't have been completely insane. I could make a very good case to take uh, Vooch at 20 instead of 30. He was the one of the three that I had the most confidence in, Easily outperforming his number. I only talked about him second because I listed guys based on their Yahoo preseason rank. The But if you weren't gunning for two or three of these names, if you were just trying to get one, you had a pretty good shot to get one because all of them were going in the third round. Even if you went near the end of the third round, Chris Paul was still falling to you, and he fell to me. I took him in every single Roto League. Chris Paul, every one of them. Why didn't I take him in head-to-head? Well, I I really did think he was going to miss a dozen games this year or more. And he stuck that one in my eye, but I'm happy to have had it stuck in my eye. Weird grammar, I know. I want to get through at least two more of these names, so we'll let today's pod go just a couple minutes longer than my original intent. Chris Middleton was my next old man on the list. His preseason rank was 42. Again, that's how we're... Uh, That's how we're organizing this. We're just going based on where they were ranked. He finished at number 18 because of durability. This is where the old man squad can really start to make some hay. Chris Middleton actually had a per-game mark of 43. So he was right on his per-game marker. Preseason rank of, what did I just say, 42? Yeah, 42. So per game, he was right on the mark. But he played in over 90% of his team's games. And so I had his final rank at 29, and he he beat it. He beat that too. Son of a gun beat it. Because I thought, actually, you know what's funny, is I thought he was going to be a little bit better on a per-game basis. I thought he'd be about 35 on a per-game basis, but I thought the Bucs would give him scheduled rest days, and he'd be 35 per game and uh, play in, like, I don't know, 61, 62 of his team's 72 ball games, and that would have put him as a mid to late third rounder. So that's where I got my handicapping of 29. Uh, well, he pl- he decided he wanted to play them all or try. 68 out of 72 for Chris, and he blew it away. So, um, this is one of those ones where I think we need to talk a bit more about process as opposed to result, because we got the result we wanted, which was a hit. But process-wise, this one actually didn't really go the way that I expected. I thought Middleton would miss more time than he did. So let's see if we can't take a second here and figure out why did Chris try to play in, in as many ball games as humanly possible? Sitting out, by the way, two of the four games he missed were rest days in the season's final two weeks. He sat out a home game against Washington. His team barely hung on and win uh, one, And then he sat out the season finale in Chicago. thing about Middleton is his injuries have always been a bit more fluky than anything else he played 62 of his team's games last year which was not a great number but 77 the year before that solid 82 the year before that solid and it was the 16-17 season where he missed most of the year with a big injury in the middle of the season otherwise Middleton's actually been kind of a pillar of durability Forget his rookie season in Detroit where he didn't play that much. Once he got traded to Milwaukee and was a starter, he played 82 games. Here, I'll just read them off. 82, 79. So maybe I'll just tell you how many he missed. 82, 79, 79, and then he missed a bunch. missed like 50, 40-something. 82, 77, 62 in last year's weirdo season, and then 68 this weirdo season. That's the beauty of Chris Middleton. If you look at his ranks by totals... They are generally pretty different than his rank on a per-game basis. And usually, it's better. Not always, but usually. Like, if you go back two years ago, where the hell was Middleton on a per-game basis? I don't think he was that great. He was 63 on a per-game basis two seasons back. But he played in 77 of his team's games. So, if you reorganize that by totals, you get a pretty different picture of what went on in fact if you reorganize that by totals two years ago he jumps all the way up to number 47 which is why handicapping chris middleton is so damn easy he's generally going to beat his per game number by 15 to 20 draft slots and he did it again especially now that durability is so hard to come by even three years ago that wasn't that big of a bump (laughs) for uh, because of being quite durable 77 out of 82 games normally that'd get you a pretty good leap uh, you miss only five games this year. He only missed four this year, and he jumped, what did I tell you? He was 43 per game and 18 by totals. That's a big leap. That's a huge one. And we will obviously keep that in the back of our brainsies as we go forward. It's a big deal. And actually, let's go ahead and put a pin in things right now because I don't, I don't want to rush any of this, but we're already almost 50 minutes deep, and uh, we've all got days to have, so we'll pick up on probably Monday, unless I run out of basketball things to talk about tomorrow, uh, with Kyle Lowry, who is our first miss in the Old Man Squad, because he um, didn't play that much this year, and uh, not many Raptors did. It was a rough season for, for Tampa Raptors to actually stay on the court. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Hey, continue to hit me up if you guys want to start a podcast. We may have a few new ones in the mix already. Uh, have a lovely Thursday. Enjoy the game. I am again at Dan Vespers if you want to get in touch. And if you don't, whatever, I'll talk at you tomorrow. So long, everybody.